Ready, Ma? I'm ready, Erin. Let's go. Let's go to Boston, Massachusetts. February 1982. Well, this week we are doing Erin's pick for Paul Newman Paul Month. Paul Newman! Paul Newman Appreciation Month! And it is one of his later joints. It is a 20th Century Fox, two hours and eight minutes worth of Paul Newman in... The Verdict. The Verdict. She does like a courtroom drama. Oh, I love me a courtroom drama. And also, remember, dear listeners, last week how I was talking about, oh, I watch Law and Order while I'm doing my exercises. Last night I got home, went to put on the Law and Order On Demand, and the Sling app said, I'm sorry, there are no episodes available for your viewing. Oh my god. <gasps> Be still my heart. I I was like, it's a good thing I have the verdict in the queue. So, I hurried up, did what I had to do, and then since the verdict right now is on HBO for your streaming enjoyment. Exactly. I watched the first 30 minutes of this in the bathtub with a nice <gasps> glass of Pinot Grigio. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> So you didn't take notes on the first half. <laughs> oh, yeah. I've kind of stopped taking notes on the... I take my notes after I've watched it. Okay, so, so, dear listeners, when it seems like I am monopolizing the podcast, I actually have notes. Yeah, because you have the notes. Why are two people going to have the notes? Okay, you bring the humor... And the insight. Yeah, this I'll tell you exactly why I don't have notes. Because as I was in the bathtub getting my soak on, the movie starts. It just we'll go back and do the particulars, but just this is our little banter in the beginning to get you guys used to it. I put on the movie, it's doing the intro, Paul Newman's playing pinball, and the credits come up of who's in this movie. And someone is in this movie. We'll get to that later. And I texted Ma, this guy, and then I had to stop the movie and go back because I can't do both. I can't take notes and watch the movie. Okay. Fair and that's, enough. I guess that's why you stop it and like rewind it and like Sometimes. pause it and stuff. If it's really important, I do that. Yeah, so I I didn't. Like, sometimes I'll take notes because notes make me have to pay attention. But sometimes there are movies where I know I don't need to take notes and I'm going to pay attention. And that would be pretty much any Paul Newman movie. Oh, man. I love this. I'm getting sad because... What am, what is my my last pick of the month gonna be? Like, what is it gonna be? Because well, I, I have an idea for you. Because truth be told, listeners, last we do this on a Saturday, and the last Saturday of the month is, well, maybe we could watch one and do one when we're still in Richmond for the wedding. <laughs> well, that's gonna be Paul Newman's the wedding that we did. <laughs> <laughs> and um, they don't know this yet. It's gonna. I'm gonna do a performance piece as my gift to them, where I am at their wedding as Paul Newman. 
I, I feel like Paul Newman would have acted this way. So. Okay. Wow. Okay. Well, that's going to be a gift that cannot be replicated. Okay. Give us the particulars, girl. All right. So the verdict, it is directed. Oh my gosh. Okay, guys. Talk about heavy hitters in a film. It is directed by one Sidney Lumet or Lumet. This guy, and I can't believe, because, oh, anyway. Tell us about Sydney. Well, Sydney wrote a book called Making Movies that I read when I was either a freshman or sophomore in college. And I didn't have to read. It wasn't assigned to me. I read it because I wanted to make movies. And he wrote a book called Making Movies. And so I went through a Sidney LeMay phase where I watched a bunch of his movies. And I'm like, yeah, this guy knows what he's talking about. It's a great book, by the way. You should pick it up. He's also directed a movie we've already done before called 12 Angry Men. Yes. He did Serpico. Damn. Dog Day Afternoon. Hello. Network. <gasps> yeah. Among, I'm mad as hell and I'm, I'm not, not going to take, take it, it anymore. anymore. I'm sure we're going to do Network at some point. So yeah, this we need one. I lay, I'm in soaking and I say, Sidney LeMay, how did I miss this with Paul Newman? It was produced by David Brown, who also produced The Sting, Jaws, Cocoon, Driving Miss Daisy, A Few <gasps> Good Men, and Chocolat. Daisy, I gotta make water. <laughs> yes, I gotta make water. <laughs> it was also produced by Richard D. Zanuck. Um, that name might sound familiar because he's the son of Daryl F. Zanuck, who is the head of production for 20th Century Fox. This Richard dude, he helped discover Tim Burton and some schmo named Steven Spielberg. Heller. He also was produced or like, I don't know, it was on Wikipedia's filmography. The Sound of Music, Jaws, Cocoon, Mulholland Falls, Road to Perdition, Big Fish. I loved Big Fish. Right? You and McGregor. We need to add that to the list. Tim Burton. Okay. It's based on a book by Barry Reed. It is. The screenplay is adapted by this one guy. Maybe you've heard of him. David Mamet. I mean, he's won a Pulitzer Prize for plays. Such plays as Glen Gary Glenn Ross and American Buffalo. He's also written the screenplay for such movies as The Untouchables, Hoffa, Wag the Dog. Oh. The music by Johnny Mandel. He's also he also did Caddyshack, Mash, Being There, and another movie that we've done before. The Russians are coming. The Russians are coming. <laughs> Good movie. Oh man. The cinematography. <laughs> I said oh man because I realized I had no idea how to say this guy's name. I just wrote it down, but writing it down isn't saying it. Andrzej, A-N-D-R-Z-E-J. Okay. Bert Kwaik. I I apologize. I butchered that. I think he's Polish. I'm I'm sorry. You probably butcher Aaron Bush, so it's okay. He was the cinematographer on Terms of Endearment, 
Twins, Speed. He was on like tons of movies. And he then also directed a whole bunch of DMX's movies. Like Romeo Must Die, Exit Wounds, and Cradle to Grave. Damn. I just thought that was crazy. I, I said he became a director and his muse was the rapper DMX. He just, there must, he must have loved working with the X-Man. Huh? That's funny. That's funny. All right. So it's starring Paul Newman as Frank Glavin. Co-starring Charlotte Rampling. I freaked out. I did too as Laura Fisher. I heard that voice and went, she's the old lady from Dexter. I saw, well, I saw the name and I knew exactly who it was and was freaking out. And then when I saw her, I just, I was like, I laughed to myself, splashed a little and said, that Charlotte Rampling look, she had it all along. And it's weird to see her have the same look on her face, but she's like so much younger. And, and attractive. I was just like, that Charlotte Rampling look. She's just Who always knew? had it. She, yep. was, she was also in Gregory Girl, Orca. We mentioned Dexter. Also in Broadchurch. Yes. And remember, she was in the first half of Red Sparrow that we watched. Yes. And she was in another British uh, miniseries crying thing. You you don't forget that voice. You hear that voice and you're transported. And I always go right back to Dexter because she was kind of freaky. Oh, Dexter. I always, the look, just the, yeah. the blank the face. Eyes. And, yeah, and the eyes. I'm like, oh, that's mm-hmm. always what I picture. She is also known for, she's been nominated for all these awards. And she's been in a lot of French and Italian art house films mm-hmm. i totally see that mm-hmm. so then we have jack warden warden yes and he was in 12 angry men yes he was shampoo all the president's men the great muppet caper <laughs> i mean this guy is a total oh that guy yeah he's he's uh what's it called when you're not the main guy but character actor mm-hmm. yeah and then I and then who did you see Aaron? When I saw the name of James fucking Mason. He's back, people. I was so happy. I said, are you fucking kidding me? Paul Newman, Sidney LeMay, screenplay by David Mamet, and James fucking Mason in a courtroom drama? How could it get in? At which point, I just hit pause and was like, I got to get out of this bathtub. I need to watch (laughs) this on the big screen. Man, James Mason? See, I didn't even see the credit that he was in it. I heard his voice and went, oh, no. (laughs) Here we go again. (laughs) I saw his name and I just was like, Oh, I freaked out. I texted you. And I was like, she's asleep, but I'm too excited by this news. So. Yeah. There you have the particulars. 
Okay, so we get we are treated to James, oh, James Mason Mason's again this voice week. Is coming back. Okay, as the credits are rolling, as Aaron said, Paul Newman is playing pinball. <sighs> pinball. Do I, did, I was a I was a fair, fair pinball wizard. Really? Fair. Hmm. I would sometimes jilt it too much and get kicked off because I was cheating too much. You would get you would get kicked out of like. Of playing pinball? Uh, well, the pinball game would stop because I jilted it too hard. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, you ha- you're you very strong, and I don't think you know how strong you are. That's what I've been told. <laughs> and he's drinking beer, and he's smoking in a bar. And there are Christmas, you know, it's really cheap bar Christmas decorations around. And it shows him in profile. Yeah. It's a great oh, shot. It's a great profile. It sets up so much. You're not thinking this guy, he's got it all together. No, you know that he doesn't. Okay, scene. I wrote down $10. Okay. I don't know why. I, I watched it last night and I thought I'm going to remember these little shortcuts I take in my notes. Nope. And he's, he, oh, so he is outside of a funeral home. He gives a guy $10 to be able to get into the funeral home. He put he he's only spraying his his breath spray to try to get rid of the smell of probably scotch. He comes into the funeral. He uh, um, introduces himself to the wife, says he's an attorney and gives her his card. So it's obvious he's pretty much like a, an ambulance chaser. Only he's an obituary chaser. Which it it is meant to be this guy is really down on his luck because he's going to the, the wakes and stuff and he's trying to present himself off as friends of the deceased and to give the card just in the hopes that maybe maybe something shady happened in this person's death. But then I was thinking, it seems like a reasonable idea to drum up some work if you're an attorney of such things Uh, an attorney who is who has sunk into the part where that's how he has to get his clients like clients don't come to him he has to go to them yeah and he and he knows all the funeral parlors in baston (laughs) so he has to give the the guy at the funeral home ten dollars to be able to come in yeah so there's your ten dollars yeah okay next shot is um he has a shot and a donut, and he's reading the obituaries. Yeah, you just, you see a shot, and you see, oh, I used to get a pack of those every week. The, <laughs> the little mini powder donuts. A uh, hostess little the, mini powder yeah, donut. Yeah, yeah, like a, but <gasps> it, and it was split in two, and then the paper with the obituary and circled and oh, marked And they were in so X. fresh. They were so good fresh. Well, I don't, I mean, yeah, those donuts are really good fresh. Hostess, how fresh are they? But they were, oh, they hit the spot. They did. Man. Remember the time Sparky got a hold of them and ate them all and shoved the box under our. Yes, those weren't the, those weren't the mini donuts. Those were the regular size donuts, the assorted pack that came in the regular cake, the powder, the chocolate covered and the cinnamon sugar. Yes, they did. And he ate the entire thing on a 
I don't know what we call those rugs anymore because I wanted to call it an Oriental rug, but I don't. Well, it's think an Afghan. It, it comes Af- from Afghanistan. An Afghanistan rug, and he was able powder, cinnamon, sugar on one of not those rugs, trace. and there was, there was not, a, not trace. a trace of it. We didn't find that because everybody was like, "Who ate all the donuts?" There was the what is the pack? The pack had, it was like a twelve, 12. pack. There were at least ten in there. Yeah, Who yeah. ate them all? What happened to them? It, everyone in the family was pointing fingers at everyone else. <laughs> the only thing left was his DNA on the rug. <laughs> we did not find the box until what two, three weeks later. Yeah, and then we knew what had happened—that he <laughs> ate all of them, got rid of all of the evidence. He sure did. He was a happy guy. He went, ha, ha, ha. (laughs) And we never knew anything, none the wiser. Man, he could have gotten away with murder, that dog. (laughs) He could have. Smooth criminal. And those sad eyes, who would believe it? Okay, well, he, uh, Paul Newman, it just sips his shot at first. Then he just goes, oh, fuck it, and downs the whole thing. And, And then he hesitates. Okay, next scene is another funeral. Um, He's in the receiving line, and he says he's a friend of the father's because the widow and the son are sitting there at the receiving line. And the son goes, you are not a friend of my father's. And he throws him out, and it's, I mean, it's quite a to-do. It's very uncomfortable. It's very awkward. Very awkward. And the funeral home guy tells him, don't come back here. This is enough. You have, you have intrused, (laughs) (laughs) intruded on grieving people enough. So if he's not in the funeral home, he goes back to the bar. Yeah. And he's telling a joke. I forget what the joke was about. Oh, the joke is about, he goes into the, he's like, oh, I heard about this bar. Um, for half a buck, you get a drink, you get, um, lunch and you get to go in the back room and you get laid. And the guy and the piece is like, what are you, what are you talking about? For half a dollar, 50 cents, they give you a drink, lunch, and you get to go in the back. And he says, yes. And have you ever been to this bar? The guy asked and he says, no, but my sister has. (laughs) okay well he's in his old office and he's drunk again but his office didn't you think his nice was spectacular the uh the view was like of a of an old city hall or something yes it looked like something like where commissioner gordon from a batman film would have been in or it reminded me of Allie McBeal's office looking out on um, some beautiful architecture. Right. Maybe that's just Boston and Boston people will be like, no, that's a shithole. And yeah. we're just like, it's beautiful. Look yeah, at those arches. Yeah. So um, he's looking for something in a desk drawer. And at which point he just starts destroying his whole office. He takes his law degree that's that is framed off of the wall and breaks it 
And as he's breaking it, a shard of glass goes and cuts, I thought in his eyeball, but but cuts his beautiful face. Uh-huh. And then I said a friend finds him drunk. Was that friend? That was uh, Jack Warden. Jack Warden. But I forget right. what his name in the movie is. And he puts him on the couch. And, and Paul Newman says, what the hell? Oh. Uh, um, Jack Warden says, what the hell's going on here? So then they sit up and they talk. And Jack Warden's calling him Frankie. I gave you I gave you this case, Frankie. It's 30 days till trial. And they tell me you haven't even talked to the family. So he says, we're going to be in court in two weeks. And, and Jack Warden says, I can't take this anymore. I mean, I've done what I can for you. Um, this time I got you a really good case. If you do it right, it'll last you the rest of your life. It'll take care of you. This is it, and this is all I'm doing for you. I'm leaving. Yeah, so he, basically his friend, Jack Warden, came up with this case, and it's not going to go to trial because the, the defendants are going to, they're going to settle, and they have big pocketbooks. And he, all he has to do is just do this, and he's gonna, you know, get his chunk of whatever the settlement is. It's a, right. it's a slam dunk, and you can't even pull yourself together long enough to, to just do this. Right. All you have to do is talk to the Lord. I mean, they already have the settlement ready to, ready to go. So, really, you cannot mess this up unless you just don't show. Yeah. Well, the next scene, Frank is looking rather dapper. He's got a vest, on, a suit vest and pants and a white shirt and a tie. And he looks sober. And he puts a note on the door pretending to be the secretary saying, hey, I just stepped out for lunch. You know, I'll be back in a minute. He doesn't have a secretary. No, but he, he knows how to play. He's a good lawyer. He knows how to, the appearances. So he goes and he plays pinball again. And he takes a raw egg from the bar and he puts it in a beer and he drinks that down. I think that's sort of like hair of the dog, which is supposed to like help with a hangover. I was wondering about this. I wondered... Like, is this a is this an old timey thing? Is this a cultural thing? Is this an alcoholic thing? I I feel like the raw egg in a drink is an alcoholic's way to to make it through the rest of the day, you know, or well, because the morning. In Rocky, which was in nineteen like seventy nine or something. Didn't Rocky drink raw eggs? Like, wasn't that oh, yeah. for a while yeah. like a thing where, like, oh, it's like fitness and stuff? And I'm yeah, like, build Duh. muscle or something. So I'm like, eh, but then egg. But then I thought, well, does the alcohol kill the salmonella in the egg? But then it was beer and it looked like a light beer. So I didn't think that there was that much alcohol in the beer that killed it and then he goes but i guess maybe he just needed something in his stomach probably i don't know it just i at first i thought it was a hard-boiled egg which would take us back to cool hand luke days well yeah because there's a whole i guess maybe that's like a morning bar thing 
at that bar because there was a always like a plate of eggs right there on the corner. And if you're at a bar in the morning, I'm just saying. Well, no, maybe you work an all night shift. Well, that's true, Jim. I think, I mean, I think that's the best time to go to a bar is in the morning, <laughs> honestly. Oh, people. It's not what crowded. Have what have I created? You just get out of your way and then you have the rest of the day. Okay, so he leaves the bar, and we see him climbing steps. And it is um, like an old-timey hospital with gorgeous marble steps and and beautiful railings. And he goes into a hospital ward looking for his client. He's reading the chart at the end. Of, and it's a ward where there are a lot of people. So it's not like private rooms or semi-private rooms. Um, so this person didn't have a lot of money. And he, everybody in this large room is on a respirator. So you hear the... Yeah. And he starts taking notes. He's sitting on an empty bed. And a guy comes by and goes, hey, that's my bed. And then he's in the lobby doing eye drops, you know, to try to get the red out of his eyes. Mm-hmm. And he's waiting for an elevator, and he realizes the out-of-order sign has fallen over, but the elevator's out of order, and he has to climb the steps to his own office. So his own office has an elevator that's out of order, and he meets a woman at the door. And, um, you know, the note is on the door. Oh, I guess my secretary's out to lunch. Come on in. Well, yeah, because he meets the woman, and he's like, oh, why are you out here? Why... Why aren't you waiting inside? And she was like, oh, the door's locked. And you're like, ah, Frank, you got him. Uh, Miriam went to lunch again. Sorry about that. Mm -hmm. So they come in and it is the client who he's going to get this settlement for, the sister of her. She is on the respirator like comatose in this ward of this hospital. Mm-hmm. She is, she's a young woman. She was having her third baby at the hospital. They gave her the wrong anesthesia. Um, and her husband took the other two kids and just moved away. He couldn't take it anymore. It's been four years. Uh, this woman's been on a respirator. There's no, there's no hope of her ever being able to function as a human being again. So, um, there, they, there was talk that she would get $50,000. Um, the, the sister doesn't want to leave her, but her husband's gotten a really good job out of town. She has to follow her husband and her family out of town, which means her sister has absolutely no one to come and look in on her and make sure that she's doing okay. Well, did, did they find, or did I make this up, that they found, like, another place that would take her, like, where the sister is? Or the, were they just going to leave her? Because that was kind of what I... Ne I mean, I always knew the big picture was that, yeah, they need the money so that they can put the sister in, like, a perpetual care place. Right. Instead of this ward yeah. where she's not but getting I, individual attention. But I it's thought that maybe that was, like, in Phoenix or wherever the husband was going. But then I didn't know. I don't know either. It's I a didn't MacGuffin. pick up on that. Yeah, it's a MacGuffin. It doesn't... 
that's a detail that we d- really don't know. I mean, that we don't need to know. Right. Like, oh, well, we just know this woman is is never going to be a a whole human being again. She's pretty much um, a vegetable. And because- I got the feeling that because it was a Catholic hospital, like they wouldn't let them just kind of pull the plug. But oh, I don't probably. know. Maybe. I didn't even think of that. It is a Catholic hospital. Yeah, I, I. But then I was like, "Am I just making this up because it's a Catholic hospital?" Or I wonder if you, yeah, if you brought that to it. I didn't pick up on that. I but thought that, that she had. I thought good that she point. said a line of something like, um, that the the diocese said they had to play it out. But I don't know if that was in. I took it to mean as like God's will or something like there was at some uh, point somebody said something about God's will and I don't know if they meant like how her life was going to go or if it meant with the case. Okay. But I was like but both do apply cuz I right. couldn't It's probably double entendre. Yeah. I'm like ma'am it. <laughs> but there is a Dr. Gruber and he is one doctor who will talk about other doctors. Doctors are like the police. the big blue line, whereas uh, um, police officers aren't going to rat out other police officers. Doctors aren't going to rat out other doctors. But this Dr. Gruber will, because he's saying this shouldn't have happened. This woman got the wrong anesthesia. And it is the fault of the anesthesiologist and her surgeon and so yeah i'm gonna say it they didn't do their homework they didn't do it right they messed her up so the family is entitled to something to help take care of her in the manner that is um respectful and humane Mm -hmm. until the end of her time so we find out that the archdiocese has called Mm mm-hmm because the arch, yeah. cause it's, a, it's like a Catholic, well, Boston, big surprise. It's a Catholic uh, hospital. Right. And um, that this case won't go to trial because um, Paul Newman is saying whatever the settlement is, he gets a third of it. Mm-hmm. And, and he said and, that's customary. You can check around. Yeah. Well, the next scene is at the archdiocese where there's a um a cardinal who is the guy that was in 12 angry men he was one of the angry men the bishop right Mm -hmm. and the bishop is because we know we can trust bishops at this point yeah i was like man they really there's so much worse i mean it's a, it's a horrible tragedy for this family, sure, but I'm like, there is so much abuse going on right now. This mm-hmm. guy must be, like, just juggling priests around to different parishes and whatnot. Exactly. It goes all the way to the Vatican. It goes straight to the top! It does. This is the prime okay. spotlight years, because remember, this is Boston, and this is Spotlight, and that's that movie. It all ties in. 82. Okay, so they have a report on Frank, and they're going, he's had four cases in the last three years, and he's lost them all. Yeah, he's on a bit of a, he's, he's had some L's. And so he's just, he's at the end of his career. He can't pull himself together to get off the booze to be able to do it, uh, a trial, so they're going to settle. 
<clears throat> and they're saying something about $600,000 is their max. Wow. And they're hoping it doesn't go to court because they are afraid of it going to court. The the bishop mm -hmm. doesn't he doesn't want anything to go to court. Yeah. And if this can go to court, maybe his little dalliances with the altar boys can go to court. Yeah, he's like, guys, whatever happens, we got to stay out of court because we got to stay out of people looking over here at us. Exactly. And we want it settled. But the guy and then his his like weaselly like conciliary guy he basically says well yeah we have to settle we don't want it to go to court and then the bishop at some point says but if it goes to court are we gonna win and his little weaselly guy's like yeah we're gonna win so no, there there isn't even a question yeah, yes so we'll you, so you know that oh this is boston this is the church they got judges they have whoever they need to have in their pocket yeah was that's how i took it exactly exactly i mean they are they're because yeah okay i mean the they're like the mob i hate to say it but well, hey put it out there girl because it's true in this in this regard of of covering up and 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 again this is one of those things where it's 2018 we're looking at a movie in from 1982 when you saw this movie in 1982 or the early 80s. Well, had you ever seen it before? No. But you read the book. Oh, wait. Yes. I saw the verdict. Yes. Back in the 80s. It was probably 86 when I saw it because that was your surgery time. But I had read the book first. <laughs> Did you watch it the night before my surgery? <laughs> I didn't. I don't think I saw it until after your surgery, but I'd read the book when I had to talk to the anesthesiologist because I brought it up. I've read the book, The Verdict, and he was like, oh, fuck. <laughs> like, yeah. <laughs> Another one of those. Yeah. So how good are you at your job? <laughs> <laughs> or how much money can you get me? Uh, no, I didn't oh, say that, oh, guy, guy. Oh, my gosh. Okay, next scene, Dr. Gruber. But wait, wait, wait. Going, But my point was, when you, in the early 80s... Oh, I'm sorry. Did you, when it was going up against the church, were you like, because of uh, authority and how much you love it, were you like, man, fuck the church. I don't even know why. Or were you just like, oh, yeah, it's the church. and Like, how did you... Because seeing it in 2018 and all of the stuff that's come out and continues to come out, I'm just like, mm-hmm. Oh, y'all. Right. Mm -hmm. right. You know, that move. And, and in 1982, I, I was never a, a Catholic. My grandmother was a Catholic, and the, and the KKK burned a cross in her yard when she was little because she was Catholic. Just saying. And um, none of these stories had come out. And so I wasn't like, oh, my God, the church. You can't say anything against the church. But I also wasn't, oh, my God, the church. I mean, they're just going to tell lie upon lie. So um, I didn't see all the cover-up that was going to happen coming. Oh. That's that's an interesting, when you watch the these old movies, it's sort of interesting to see to what are you bringing to it from mm -hmm. history and how is it being viewed in those contemporary times? Because we have just found out in real time that 
that the cover-up of McCarrick, who was in D.C., went all the way up to the Vatican. They knew about it for 20 years. Well, it's like, what's his face said in Spotlight? Like, they they knew everything. You're going to, like, all those rules, how, all that ceremony, all the pageantry, how everything is completely scripted. Again, the, the rules, the all of that thing, the tradition. You're going to tell me that they didn't know. Right. Uh, I don't buy it. And it, it's like the, and then that way, it's like the mob. It's like an organized crime. Congratulations. Exactly. You're an organized crime. But you know what? It, it's kind of always been like that. <laughs> I mean, there, aren't there like shows about the popes and stuff of like from history? And you're like, well. These guys were nuts. Yeah. I mean, just go with the Ruby Slippers, shall we? <laughs> yeah, but I'm talking about like during the Crusades and stuff and in yeah. history. Yeah. If you Google like, hey, Pope's doing some crazy shit in, yeah, the, in those the young times. Pope. And then what was it? The one with uh, Jeremy Irons? Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Like those guys, they were like, yeah. man, these dudes were wiling. They've always been wiling out. Because power corrupts. Yeah, and they made and they made so much money. Yeah. So because again, what have we what is the official mantra of Gone with the Bushes? The answer to every question is money. Follow the money. That's your answer. That's all you got to do. Follow the money. Okay, so Frank meets with Dr. Gruber. Are you finished with your rant or can I go? <laughs> I am done for right now. <laughs> I'm trying really hard, listeners, not to talk over her. Okay, so he meets with Dr. Gruber. And... Um, he says they want to settle, and Dr. Gruber says the doctors killed her. They gave her the wrong anesthesia. She drowned in her own vomit, and they turned her into a vegetable. Mm-hmm. He was like, this isn't an accident. They're, no. they're like, they, they killed her. They did this. And This is manslaughter. Yeah, and Frank s- says, wait a second. <laughs> I mean, you're, you're a doctor. You're... Doctors don't say this about other doctors because, you know, to err is human and it could be you that you mess up and then this happens. And he's like, no, I'm sick of working with these assholes. They're a bunch of prima donna pricks. He doesn't, I'm paraphrasing here, but this is basically (laughs) what he's saying. Like, I don't like their attitude. I don't like the way that they go on and they talk about medicine. I don't like that, you know, in 30 years they're going to be running the insurance companies and it's going to... Like, this guy was basically sounding the alarm in 1982 that nobody was listening to. Nobody paid attention. Nobody paid attention. Asleep at the wheel. So, so Paul Newman's going, well, you know, the hospital's owned by the archdiocese. And he's going, I don't care. I want to blow the whistle on these motherfuckers. I got something to say! So Paul Newman says, we're going to meet here Tuesday night. But tell me, tell me, why are you doing this? Mm-hmm. And he goes, I want to do the right thing. Man. And Paul Newman lets out a, woo-ha! Now, 
Did you think that his car was going to explode? Yes. I did. I totally I kept thought. waiting for it to explode. I'm like, that car's going to explode. And then when it didn't, and he rides away, and Paul Newman, who was 56 at the time of this movie was filmed, he jumps up. And I'm like, Paul Newman, save those Watch knees, buddy. Save your, <laughs> save your knees. Because <laughs> that dude is going to get rubbed out. Yeah, well, we weren't dealing with the cartel. But <laughs> see, hey. and that's where they messed up. <laughs> that's where they messed up. Well, the- <laughs> not no, wait, more's a coming. Oh, oh, oh. So, of course, Paul goes to the bar oh. and he orders a bush mill. What's that? Is that I a believe beer? it's whiskey. Oh, uh, whiskey. I don't, and I, I believe it's not top shelf, but I could be wrong. I don't know my whiskeys. I believe it's no Hendrix. But maybe it is because he's happy. I don't know. Ugh. Well, it's probably mid middle of the middle of the road. He's not down to uh, old granddad, but um, or Forrester or whatever. What, what okay. about Cuddy Snark? I don't. <laughs> it's Cuddy Sark, not Snark. Oh, <laughs> snarky girl. I like. I think it's. I think it should have been Cuddy Snark. As <laughs> you drink that, and you're just snarky. You're snarky. So he goes in the bar, he orders a drink, and he sees a woman sitting at the end of the bar. And right away I went, no. Wait. But mom. No, no. Let's just, let's just take a time for appreciation of one Lume and one esteemed Polish director of DMX movies guy. Because. Okay. And she's sitting there with Veronica Lake hair. Right. She has Veronica Lake hair. Notice that she's wearing a light color trench coat everyone else around her in the bar dark clothes oh, that's where my college tuition dark was. clothes the way that it's lit well, did because not it's all that. one shot you see newman he gets lit so you you highlight him and then your eye is immediately drawn to this bunch of lightness that's around the corner of the bar and i said oh snap look at everyone else is wearing dark clothing and then she's light so it pops I bet they even like litter a special certain way so that she would just be bright because it's just all in one shot. But your eye just it goes from Paul Newman to this woman. And it's it's almost as if you notice the woman like Paul Newman would. Yeah. And it's a Lauren Bacall moment. I mean, she's very Lauren Bacall-esque in this. She is. And um, and she's very aloof. As Lauren Bacall would be. And he goes, you want a drink? And she goes, I want an apartment. And which point I wrote, oh, my God, it's the woman from Dexter. You didn't recognize her name when in the credits? No, I, I don't know what her name is, but she's freaky. And oh. she has those hooded eyelids. Oh, yeah. I was like, this woman, I said that look, she's had it all along. That rampling look. TM. That rampling look. And I said, she's no good. <laughs> she No, stay away from her. You don't understand. She tried to kill Dexter. Okay. Next scene, he's on the phone in his office. He's going to the archdiocese tomorrow. Oh, but wait, tomorrow. wait, wait, Ma. You skipped over it because she says, I need an apartment. And he basically, a cold shoulder. And, uh, Paul Newman, he, the way he delivers this line, I was like, this is why he's fucking Paul Newman. He just walks away from her and he's just like, 
because he wanted to buy her a drink and she's not having any of it. And he just said, I had a good day. That's all. Because he, he yeah. did. He had a good day. He just wanted to share it with the pretty lady. Yeah. So he goes back to yeah. his friends, gets his drink. And then you see her collect her paper, newspaper, whatever that is, and walk out. And she stops and she goes, I'm glad you had a nice day. And the way she says it, that rambling way, you don't know if she meant it or if it's sarcasm. She is one sarcastic bitch. Yeah, because I'm like, is she with the, is she like a, the other sister? And she's like scouting this guy? I'm immediately suspicious of her. because those You are eyes, immediately suspicious of this woman. You don't know why. And then it's like, is, is this all of this propaganda that my whole life has been about to not trust women? Or is it, or is this like legitimate? I don't know what's going on. Because she's so aloof. And it's Paul fucking Newman. Mm-hmm. Okay. But it is a drunk Paul fucking Newman. Okay. I don't care. I'll put that out So there. he is drinking and he's on the phone with the sister. Um, and he's talking platitudes. And he's saying, I think we can get $200,000. Yeah, he is drunk. She's talking. You know that he's so drunk, he doesn't even really know what she's saying. And he doesn't um, care. And he doesn't care. He's just He's like, going to get a third of $300,000. Yeah. And he picks up the file to look at it. And then he drinks some more. And then it's just like, I, I, my eyes won't focus on this. So never mind. Okay, next scene, we're back at the hospital. The Is this where we have the, fir- the first person of color? Yes. Has he been to the nurse? Well, he's taking photos of oh. the client. Okay. With an with a, I said instamatic, but it's not an instamatic. What were those called back there in the day? With the, the with the six blue light bulbs it, on the top. It was and like, it takes Yeah, it wasn't it's it was a Polaroid. Polaroid. And then you had to shake it and wait for it to develop. Mm-hmm. And he's looking at her. He takes two pictures and then with the third, it's like he hesitates and he's thinking and you can see him thinking, wow, this, this is a human being. Like this shit's fucked up, man. This, this is, is some- really, wow. I mean, she has no quality of life. And she's wow. not even like, <laughs> are you okay? Yeah, I was just doing the ventilator. Um, she, she's not even, she's curled up in the fetal position too on her side. Yeah. She isn't even on her back and just. Mm-hmm. And they probably have to move her so she doesn't get bed sores. Yeah. So. She's got to be catheterized. They, LeMay, craftsman at work here, you see the Polaroid pictures as they're developing. Yeah. I picked up on this. And. It does exactly what it's supposed to do because sure I'm does. watching this movie. It's a courtroom drama. James Mason's in it. I've already got that rampling look. TM. I'm like, that's 
That's my new catchphrase. I'm going to try it out, see how it works. <laughs> Courtroom drama. You know, I'm just I'm just like, this is the verdict. This is Paul Newman. And I don't even think I don't even think there's music over it. I don't know. But just watching those, it's just a long shot watching them develop. I was just like, man. This and watching is... Paul Newman's face as it goes from, I'm the attorney, I'm going to get a third of $200,000 to, oh my God. Like, they did this to this woman. This is a this is a real person. Yeah. And he's thinking, and he's thinking, and then a nurse tells him he has to leave. Yeah, because he wasn't supposed to be in there. It wasn't visiting hours. Mm-hmm, like, cause... anybody in there would know. Yeah. Next scene is the archdiocese with the, I think it's a cardinal, not a bishop. Which one wears the red hat with the pom-pom? I, you, I would think cardinal just because of the name and the red. But you know what? I don't know. And I'm glad that I don't know. It might be a bishop. Anyway, uh, the, 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 the dude with the red silk, silk hat saying it's our hospital versus the rights of the client. It's, it was a tragic accident. Let's give Frank a check for $210,000. You divide that by three, and Frank is going to get $7,000. No, I think he's going to get $70,000. Oh, 70. Yes. That's why I only went through second grade. $210,000, and they divide it by three. But it's easy. You drop off the zeros. $70,000, that's a good sum. That's exact. That's the whole point of of right now. Because it's, yeah, $70,000. He's saying no one will know the truth. We're really good at covering our tracks. Guys, we got this on lock. that poor girl put her trust in two men, and we took her life. And she's tied to a machine for the rest of her life. She has no friends, no family. She's in a coma. And we paid to look the other way. Uh, oh, this is Paul Newman talking to her. Yeah, Paul Newman's sitting there. And he he's, he's not striking a regal and confident picture. He's sitting in this chair. I think it's oversized. He's got... What is that? Because it's not... It's like a leather satchel kind of thing. It looks like your puppy's brain. <laughs> Think about it. Yeah, but it it's yeah, but it's like zipped and it's leather and he's just kind of holding it to his chest. So he does like a soft-sided briefcase. Mhm. And and it's just on his lap and it's he just looks like he's in over his head mm-hmm. and they're telling they're giving him they basically give him the check, don't they? Or do they not? Are they, are they talking about Well, that's what they're there it? for. Yeah. And he said, I came here to take your money today. But I can't take it. If I take it, I'm lost. Um, and, and they had called him an ambulance like, chaser before. He said, you know, I could be a, a rich ambulance chaser. But um, I, I can't take your money. And they go, how's your law practice? And he's going, not good. Right now I have one client. So, so he's realizing he's not going to take the money and just settle when these people have killed this woman and they're just going to hide that fact. Wait a second. Didn't they, isn't, did the baby survive? 
No. Yeah, so they already killed a baby, and they're Catholic, so excuse me. I thought that that meant, like, everything. It was God's will. <laughs> well, the baby's dead. This one, They have yep. basically killed the woman. But they never mention anything about the dead baby. They no. never bring that up. No. It's just the this woman who is like... Oh, but it's like, but, but by your rules, then, by these rules right. that you are playing, you guys have killed two people. You guys have killed two people. Okay, so so he has actually grown a conscience. Yes, this is Next. a way for him to redeem himself. Yeah, to do the right thing, as Doctor Gruber had said, mm -hmm. just doing the right thing. Well, Mick is at a poker game, and Mick had already told Frankie he wasn't going to help him anymore. He was done. But Frankie goes to him and says, I need your help. And Mick goes, you turned down $200,000. What do you want me to do? And Frank goes, they killed her. And they're trying to buy it. Uh, and Frank says, if I don't stand up now, when will I? Um, I can win this case. I can do this. It's like Shades goes, of Hamilton, Ma. Yeah. If you stand for... Oh, I don't... I forgot what it is. Or Colin Kaepernick. Yeah. If you... If you uh, don't stand for anything, then you'll fall... If you fall for nothing. I don't know it. I know, but look up the new Nike slogan, and that's this. Oh, I mean, that you commercial. might lose everything, but at least you're standing up for something right. Yeah, if you're standing up for, like that, I mean, that's what integrity is, is that you do the right thing when no one's looking, even if it you, means that you're going to lose everything. Right. You're right. like, yeah, why don't you stand up? But I said that I wasn't because I'm doing this. All right, well, you're gonna lose all of this and this and this, and like, well, I've been painted into a corner now. <laughs> like, kind of, oh, yeah. all right, I guess you I'll lose everything. Yeah. And Mickey goes, Don't fuck with this case. And he goes, I'm gonna try it because I can win it. Are you gonna help me? Oh, and at this point, I'm like, Oh, snap, now this is turned into Rocky. Mm -hmm. He's an underdog, and he's because here's the thing about. Paul Newman in this character even though he's a drunk we've seen his office and just that Paul Newman charisma you know that at one point this this guy he was a great lawyer mm -hmm. because he is not homeless I mean he's he's damn near this is his rock bottom true but yeah. there there just is something that we know that is like, man, if he pulls himself together, he he can be a lawyer. He can do it. He can do it. You can do it. Just do it. Just do it. Well, next scene, we're introduced to George Mason. George Mason, Ma? <sighs> What's just... his name? I wrote down George. <laughs> George James. Mason. James, did you just write down George Mason? I did. One of and your founding fathers. Your Northern Virginia. 
That's just you and being used to it. And may I share that's the college that I got my master's from. Your alma mater. <laughs> of course you would. You denigrate the great James Mason. Okay, so, um, so Mason is at his law firm where he has 12 clerks around the table. And he's telling them, who is supposed to go on vacation tomorrow? And two guys raise their hands. He goes, too bad. Nobody's on vacation till this case is cleared. We're going to trial. Can you believe it, everyone? Because this is is old. He's old. This isn't the James Mason from A Star is Born. This is the James Mason who's got some years under that bridge. And he is the man when it I mean if he is on retainer from the archdiocese you know that this is the man when it comes to law in Boston yeah he's got a cardigan he's got I believe this is depend I think this is the first time that we see a person of color because he's pouring the tea for everyone of course and I'm like I see you Boston it's 1982, huh? Yeah. How far we've come. Okay, he's saying everyone has to know this case inside and out. Backwards and forwards. Our clients are the Archdiocese Hospital uh, and two doctors who have been accused of being negligent. Yes. Okay, so so that scene was meant to show you everything they have as opposed to what little Frank has on his side. I mean, this guy's got 24 young lawyers who are each going to pour over every single deposition So I'm up against Frank, one drunk with right. like his teacher buddy. Because Mickey had been Frank's teacher. Yes. Okay, so the next scene is Frank and Mickey going over the case, and they're going, everybody who was in the OR that day, and everybody had signed a deposition except the OB nurse. Yeah, Frank says, where's the OB nurse's deposition? Why wasn't she deposed? Next scene, we're at the bar. And Mick is there. He leaves. And again, Frankie orders two shots. He downs one. And there is Laura, the apartment woman, again. Hmm. Hmm. How interesting. Go ahead. I said how interesting. She just always seems to show up. At this point, I'm wondering, it's 1982. What's up with this woman? Is she just a poorly written female character? Because Lord knows that happens. Or does she have something up her sleeve? Bing, 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 bing. I just never felt good about her. Well, the whole Dexter thing came in. But anyway, they're having small talk. And um, she's saying that she is single. And he's saying, I'm going to bet dinner on it. I'm going to bet that you left him instead of he left you and whoever wins pays for dinner. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's basically Paul Newman just seducing this woman. Being charming, Paul Newman. And then, of course, he's getting drunk, so he's talking about his case. I'm going, don't do that, oh. dude. 
Surely you, you know. You don't know this woman? And he goes, this week I, I have somebody that I'm going to fight for. So he's talking about the case over to her. Well, because he's he's fallen in love with Law again. Which This is really funny because I don't know if the listeners also watch Better Call Saul. But I am a week behind in Better Call Saul. So I watched an episode last week after we had said we're going to do the verdict. Did you watch the episode, Ma? No. Well, it, I'm going to kind of spoil a part of it for you. Go ahead. The Who's the woman? The girlfriend of Saul, Jimmy, Kim. She is sitting in like a low court and she's just sitting there and the and for like a couple of cases and the judge points her out and says um miss wexler do you have any official court business and she's like no i'm just here observing your honor and so a couple more cases go through and the judge asks to see her in chambers for during lunch and so she's sitting there and he goes through this whole spiel about how he he was like, yeah, I've seen this before. And he was like, you're um, there. There was a case that came in. It was about a young girl who was a mother of two. She was going to have basically. And so then he describes everything that happens. And then she go, slaps him and goes, is that the pl- yeah, that's the plot of the verdict? At which point I freaked out because spoiler alert breaking call Saul you just told me what the next movie I'm watching is and I just thought it was hilarious but he but the judge was using that as to illustrate you're not like it's a cliche of the lawyer who needs to fall back in love with law again by going on a crusade for righteousness Ah, Mm -hmm. I couldn't believe because you had alluded to it with the anesthesiologist earlier. And then mm-hmm. I'm watching this complete. And so I was like, ah, well, now I know what the case is about. Damn it. It, it But but still, still, it did not. It, it did not tarnish. No, it did not. It did not tarnish it at all. OK, well, she just stares at him. She does a lot of just staring. It's that rampling look. Rampling luck. TM. And he says, maybe I can do something right. He's fallen back in love, love with, with the, law. the law. He's not really fallen in love with her, but she's there and she's convenient. Mm-hmm. Okay, so she comes to his apartment. He takes her coat. Do you want a drink? Yeah. They kiss while holding their drinks, which I thought was really awkward. <laughs> And then she looks and there's a picture of his wife by the bed. And she just laughs. So he goes and turns it down and then she's unbuttoning her shirt. Mm. So that's where it ends. Uh, Next scene, he's back at the pinball game and he wins this one. Yeah. And then he goes, I won. I finally won it. And he checks the time and, oh, he's late. He runs to court. Uses the breath spray. James Mason is there. The judge is there. And the judge is saying to them, "It's they aren't in court. They're actually in the judge's chambers. Yeah, the judge is eating his breakfast, right? He's eating something. And the judge says, did you two try to settle this? And um, 
James Mason says, Frank, and, and did we try to settle it? And James Mason says, we offered him $210,000. The doctors want vindication, but the offer was, um, the offer will be withdrawn if I walk out of this office today. And Frank goes, we're going to try the case. Yeah, we're going to trial. So James Mason says, are you playing chicken? Are you trying to get more money out of us? Wow, not, you're not even trying with the James Mason voice. We don't know how many more times we're going to get to do his voice. Well, then you are the champ. You're not e are you playing chicken? Well, now it's bad. It got. Yeah. I lost it. I'm sorry. You'll get it back. Keep practicing. And he says, Frank, you don't have the best of records. Uh, and he goes, you've been disbarred. And Frank goes, I was, I was not, not disbarred. So James Mason gives him coffee to see. And he hands him the coffee cup. And I think he does it to see if his hands are shaky. Mm. Like, is he withdrawing from alcohol? Mm. Do you have the shakes? Let me see. And uh, Paul Newman says, see in court. Well, well, also, James the judge is a bit apoplectic. We know in this scene whose side the judge is on. Yeah, the judge is totally with the archdiocese. He's not stupid. Yeah, the judge is like, you know, are you sure that, that you want to do this? Think this whole thing through? Are you crazy? I mean, the judge is very unjudgely. Follow the money. The mm -hmm. judge knows the money is with the archdiocese. I'm going to do what they want to keep this case from getting out of hand. Well, Paul Newman's al alone in the office and he's going, because it's like, did I do the right thing? I should have taken the money. Mm -hmm. Next scene, it's court. And Paul Newman is, is talking to the prospective jurors to see who he wants to keep and who he wants to get rid of. And he is bumbling. He's not doing a great job. Well, he's out of practice. He's way out of practice, and he probably didn't have his beer with the egg in it this morning. And um, then somebody says to him, oh, I think Mickey says, it's been a long time as they're leaving court. And um, so, so Frank goes, what about the OB nurse? And Mickey's going, she won't talk to me. And Frank goes, I'm going to win this case. I'm going to go meet Gruber, and uh, Mick meets with Laura, at which point the brother-in-law of mm -hmm. the client, the mm -hmm. person on the respirator, it, it comes in the lobby and comes and says, um, why didn't you hit me up? You ruined my life. Now I'm going to ruin yours. Uh, it's been four years and you turned down our offer. I mean, we could have had that money to help us build our new life, to help my wife get over this vegetable that is her sister. And uh, you guys are all the same. You're just whores for the money. You just want more money. And the wife pulls away. Yeah, so there's a confrontation because... And this is... A uh, bit, bit of a problem in the law circles because 
He's supposed to take the offer. The diocese made the offer mm -hmm. and it was presented to him and he mm -hmm. refused it without conferring with his client. Because as mm. a lawyer, you're supposed to act at, on the behalf of your client. You do whatever your client wants to do. And he rejected the offer without even going to the client. And then his the brother-in-law found out about it from the other side. And he was mad about that, too. He's like, I have to hear about this from the other side. Well, that's also against the rules. The other side can't go to the other side and say, hey, look what your attorney did. Both mm -hmm. sides in this, Paul Newman and James Mason, they could have been disbarred, sanctioned, or faced fees for this egregious act of what they did. Because they're supposed to be working for the client, not their own personal windmills. Right. Next scene, Paul Newman is supposed to meet with Gruber. You know, a Gruber, his whole case depends on this doctor coming in and saying, these doctors pretty much killed her. Mm -hmm. They gave her the wrong anesthesia. There was no reason for it. It's negligence. Slam dunk. Well, he's waiting and he's waiting and he's waiting and he leaves. And uh, he goes to Gruber's house. And, well, maybe he first he goes to his... Um, his office away from the hospital and he's not there. Then he, then he finds a phone book and he finds his home address. He goes to the oh, home address. He goes to see Gruber and it's now the hospital. And that's the second person of color is the nurse. And then yes. he's asked for the telephone book. Yes. And so he's looking at the telephone book. Then he goes to, I guess like his office, not there. Gruber's not there. Then I think what he goes to his house. Right. Like, and he rings the bell and uh, somebody comes to the door and says, um, well, he's running through the neighborhood looking for him. And um, the woman at the door, who is probably their housekeeper, says, oh, Dr. Gruber's not in. He's in uh, some island in the Caribbean. And they don't have a phone. And that's his case. I mean, this is done. Yeah. It's over. Whoa. He doesn't have any witnesses to put on the stand to say these two were negligent. The archdiocese has bought everybody, and he's done. He has nothing without this. And he the offer has been removed. He didn't take the money. He's going to trial now, and he's got nothing. He just, nothing. He just fucked up. It's raining in Boston. He goes to the judge's personal residence. Mm -hmm. and he knocks on the door, asks for the judge, and says, I need an extension on my case. And the judge goes, yeah, should have taken the offer. Mm -hmm. He goes, but my witness disappeared. Not my problem. It's like witnesses disappear all the time. And I'm like, ooh, Boston. <laughs> yeah, should have taken the settlement, and I have no sympathy for you. At this point, Mick is talking to Laura. At, a, at the bar mm -hmm. and telling Laura the story behind the almost disbarment of Frank. So we're getting the Frank backstory, but did you notice the most important thing about this scene? Probably not. And the reason that I had to go back and rewatch the scene because I was obsessed with the food that Frank was getting. He was pulling some sort of meat out from behind something at this bar and he sits down and he's got a stack of meat 
what looks like a stack of cheese and a stack of the whitest bread you've ever seen. <laughs> and I thought to myself, my God, is like, what's his plan? Is he going to make a bunch of individual sandwiches? Is he going to make one giant sandwich? Oh, man. Bread is so fantastic. And then and I've been on the plant paradox for a couple months now. <laughs> bread is our heroine. And then we, and then I, by the, then I'm like, wait a second, I'm getting all of Frank's backstory and I have not heard any of it because while I'm sitting here chomping on homemade sweet potato fries, daydreaming about this man's white bread sandwich. That honestly, if you think about it, Aaron, it's meat from the back of a bar. It's not that great. So why are you waxing poetically and drooling about it and missing Frank's backstory? So I had to pause. He was literally drooling people. I had to pause and rewind it. After she wiped her chin. Yeah. Okay. So evidently there was the story of a bribed juror. Now, while he's telling the story, Laura does her just staring at him. Come on, come on. We're trying to start a thing. It's that rampling look. Rampling. Rampling. I have to write that down. Rampling. It's look. that okay. rampling look. I don't know what that means. I think okay. that hmm, maybe I go to the wedding as Charlotte Rampling. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my God. Okay, so he's indicted for jury tampering. Well, he he married this woman, and the the woman was the daughter of this dude who ran like the biggest firm in Boston. So he so he got a job at the biggest firm in Boston, and they got married. They bought a house and they bought a dog. Everything his life is basically set. And he goes to have his first trial. I think it's his like first big trial. And the um one of the partners or the father even, um, because it was he wanted his son in law to win his first thing, he wanted he didn't want to leave it to the jury, he didn't want to leave it to chance, so he paid off one of the jurors. And then Frank found out about it. And Frank was well, very, very hurt. He can't. He went to Mickey and he was crying because he couldn't believe that one that he would get basically doubting his ability as a lawyer, and two that this, these people at this law firm would do such dirty tricks. This isn't what the law that he signed up for, and so he went. And then he went to them because Mickey was like, "Look." How do you think they got all this money? Like, who do you think that these people are? They they do dirty deeds. That's how they get the money. And so, you know, you can just be quiet and not say anything, but he was frank. And so he went to them and he said, I know what you guys are doing and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to blow the whistle on it. This isn't right. And before he could even blow the whistle on it, Guess who gets caught up in it? Frank. So they pin it all on him. Yeah, they aren't going down. Yeah, we're not going down. You should. You're part of this family now. 
you should have you should have played your part. We would have taken care of you. But no, you had to be the Boy Scout. Sort of like the White House at this point. Okay, while Mickey is telling Laura the story of Frank, Frank is desperately at a phone booth because um, there were no cell phones at this time. Mm-hmm. Trying to find a way to get a settlement for his client. He's freaking <laughs> out now because he's, he's like, well, mate, his Hail Mary is that he can get a settlement and just get some money for his client because he messed up royally. And, and, and then uh, Mickey says to Laura, what else you want to know about Frankie? Well, it's the eve of the trial and uh, Frankie's calling, uh, James Mason. James Mason. You know, I'm sorry to bother you at home, but can we talk about money? Well, no. James Mason no. is like, no. Good dear <laughs> ship boy. Sale. No, you had your opportunity. What are you doing? So uh, Mickey comes in. Uh, Paul Newman is, Frankie is at his desk. And he's looking for something. Someone he needs somebody on that list to replace Gruber. And so there are two shot glasses. There's booze, and there's a Dr. Thompson. Mm. And um, they're talking, and they're saying uh, he needs to change his strategy. He's going to use Dr. Thompson. Mm-hmm. That's all we know. Now it's Paul Newman's apartment, and. In bed is Laura, and she's saying, because um, he's he's consumed with the case. He, he's not paying any attention to Laura. She is not used to that. Mm-hmm. And she's going, would you like me to go? And he goes, I got work to do. Uh, you go ahead and sleep. And he kisses her. and get. But she's going, oh, you need a little sleep. Get some sleep, and then you can work on the case that starts tomorrow, and you really don't have anybody to help. Mm-hmm. That's when I knew Laura was not having Paul's best interest at heart. Because she told him to get some sleep? Yeah. Because <laughs> he needed to prepare for tomorrow. His whole case is down the toilet. Yeah, he does need to prepare, but he also needs to be awake for tomorrow. I'm just uh, Okay, next scene, Archdiocese Law Firm, which is James Mason's law firm. Mm-hmm. And um, they are they are priming the anesthesiologist for his testimony. Yes. And they're saying, don't use the patient, use her name. Don't use the patient, use the name. Who Who is it? And so James Mason's asking a bunch of questions to the guy and the, the doctor. It's the witness prep. And the anesthesiologist is using all these big terms, and they're going, "No, just just make it, just no. make it simple." Just Say she threw s- up in her ne- mask, not she aspirated, and and three word sentences. Use three word in- sentences. Right. Um, then we're at the train station, and Doctor Thompson is coming in on the train. And what is the deal with Doctor Thompson, Aaron? Doctor Thompson, well. And a surprise to Paul Newman as well, because Paul Newman's looking and he sees this guy and he kind of, and the guy just walks by him. And then we kind of see number three person of color walk up 
to Paul Newman and say, um, Frank Glavin, I'm Dr. Thompson. And, oh, man, Paul Newman was surprised. Crestfallen. And this Dr. Thompson is played by one Joe Seneca, who I'm like, this guy looks so familiar to me. He's been in a lot. He is in so much, but he was in Crossroads, that blues movie with Ralph Macchio. He was in Malcolm X, and he was in A Time to Kill, among others. Uh-huh. Mm-hmm. Another good courtroom movie. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Frank is going, hey, I've taken really good care of you. You're going to stay in my apartment? Well, it- because <laughs> the diocese, because Thompson's like, I appreciate it, but I have a reservation. And Frank's like, no, um, you don't understand these people will get to everyone and I don't want them bothering you. So basically Frank is putting Dr. Thompson in witness protection, like protective custody. Exactly. Okay. And, um, okay, wait, I put you in my apartment and there's a reservation. No, get in a cab. Paul Newman goes to a bank of phones and he's trying to get in touch with the OB nurse. So he goes to the OB nurse's house while Dr. Thompson is going to his apartment. Mm -hmm. Well, the OB nurse tries to close the door on him, but he won't let that happen. He forcibly stops her. Because the OB nurse is the only one that was in the operating room who was not deposed. It did not sign whatever uh, the archdiocese wanted him to Mm -hmm. sign to say, we own own you. Mm Mm-hmm. And she said, you have the doctor's testimony. Why do you need me? And then she said, nothing happened, nothing happened. And he goes, who are you protecting? And she goes, well, maybe you just better get me on the stand. Yeah, because he says, I can subpoena you. And she's like, well, maybe you better get me on the stand then. But she does call him, a, all the lawyers, a bunch of whores. Again. It's all about the money. It's not about the individual. Mm-hmm. Again, um, the working class person the the same way that the brother-in-law who he he declared himself to be a working class man and we could tell by his flannel and leather jacket and jeans that he was of the working class and this woman this ob nurse she was of the working class and she's like you're all the same you're all a bunch of dirty holes um she's and she's a catholic woman Mm-hmm. Because she, uh, not because, but and she works at this Catholic hospital, so she's very much into the Catholicness of life. Okay, next scene: we're at the attorney, the big uh, James Mason's office, and they all have info on Doctor Thompson. Mm-hmm. And the and they start spouting it out like, well, he was blah 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 and blah 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 and blah blah blah, right, Ma? Right. He doesn't really practice anymore. He's 76 years old and he does a lot of testifying. Mm -hmm. So that's like going to discredit him. Oh, and by the way, let's put a black lawyer at our table. Well, no, wait, you glossed over it because he's like he lists the guy. He's like the young, um, you know, the young suck up in the group. Like think of if you watch How to Get Away with Murder. It's like all of the 
kids in the class and stuff and the suck everyone's trying to suck up to Annalise Keating. So mm-hmm. the the main suck up who has all the intel on Dr. Thompson lists everything out and then the final the final blow to this man's character is that he's black. Yes. And that stops James Mason. And James yep. Mason turns and he was like what? That doesn't have anything to do with what we're doing and then he i think he says something else he and says he, don't bring it up oh, don't yeah. even mention he was like don't the fact that he's black he was like and you know that like you want to be like james mason yeah but really james mason is too smart he's he yeah. just knows because he says oh and make sure there's a black lawyer at the table tomorrow so you're like you, James Mason, playing it cool. Look at that. Well, now we're back at Paul's apartment, and he's reading some. He's reading from the file, and it says that the young woman ate one hour prior to uh, the anesthesia. And so if somebody eats one hour prior to anesthesia, she needs a different anesthesia than she got. But the chart says that she ate nine hours before the anesthesia and that she was feeling nausea. Yeah, because isn't Dr. Thompson there? Yes. And so he's saying, well, why do you want to testify in this? And he's like, because the doctors did were wrong. They they did this to her. And he says, well, how do you know that they did this to her? And he says, because of the type of anesthesia. He was like, you use different anesthesia for different things. And he was like, look at the chart. Um, oh, I guess like what happened, he was like, based on what happened, I know that they used the wrong anesthesia because she threw up and she aspirated, you know, and that's that's their fault. Like I, I just know because th- obviously she ate and she had food in her stomach and that's what happened. The nausea lets you know that it, it had been a shorter time than nine hours or she wouldn't still be nauseous. But when was she not? How did she know she was nauseous? Well, she presented with nausea, nausea when she uh, came in. Oh, when she came in, she was yeah. like, I'm nauseous. The, the admin admittance records said she was nauseous and um the doctor thompson is actually talking to mick paul newman is just listening and he's he's saying if she's nauseous and it says it was nine hours since she last ate i would doubt the information on the admittance chart and i would go with what i know with nausea and go with the other anesthesia Mm mm-hmm so then Paul Newman is talking to Laura in Laura's hotel room. And he's going, we're going to lose. It's over. It's all my fault. I never should have taken this case. And she's like being a cheerleader. I thought, I thought it wasn't over till the jury comes in. You want me to tell you, yeah, it is your fault. So that you can just go drown yourself in another bottle. Well, she he, at first starts as a cheerleader and then she turns not to a cheerleader. Well, she says, you want me to say it's it's your fault uh, so that you can be a, a failure and you can take yourself someplace else. And then he starts to have a panic attack. Yeah. And he has to go into her bathroom. 
And he's going, please don't pressure me. I'm under too much pressure. I can't take it. <laughs> it's like, guys, you do know that I'm an alcoholic, right? So all this pressure is <laughs> not good. It. Okay. Then he's just sitting watching her sleep. And he has a drink. And then he kisses her and he leaves. Well, now we're at the courtroom. The sister and brother-in-law are there. And Paul says, I'm going to do my best. And he comes to the defense table. He sits next to Mickey. We all have a witch doctor. I wonder what that was. Hmm, don't know. Refreshing every time a doctor takes. Oh, oh, uh, Mickey's saying, you know what? I think it's a refreshing any time a doctor takes the stand. And he's not a Jew. Mm -hmm. Basically Ooh. saying like, well, I, well big, very problematic with Mickey. Just yeah. because Mickey is pointing out the fact that that. Their star witness is a black doctor. Which he called a witch doctor. Which he called a witch doctor. And then he's like, hey, on the upside, it's refreshing that he's not a Jew. And it's just like, man, Mickey, just shooting yeah. from the hip. Just, just spraying going straight for it. Well, it's time for opening remarks. And so Paul is kind of fumbling, but, you know, he's going, uh, you know, how can I be pure and merciful and just I have the reputation of two well-respected doctors from a renowned hospital, but my client was deprived through their negligence. So at this point, we're back at the archdiocese and um, the archdiocese lawyers, James Mason, and they know about the OB nurse, which is not good news. Mm -hmm. So James Mason, James, has um, Dr. Thompson on the stand. Dr. Thompson is 74 years old. Do you still practice? Oh, no. Oh, but you testify against other physicians. Oh, but you testify against other physicians. And Dr. Thompson says he spent 46 years practicing medicine, and he knows when an injustice has been performed. Oh, why are you, Mr. Fancy Pants? <laughs> so Paul Newman says to Thompson, did you observe the client? And he says he did. And what happened to Deborah Ann Kay? And, well, her heart stopped. And um, it, was, it was nine to ten minutes that her heart was stopped. And the judge gets up and asks his own questions. Yeah. That's not supposed to happen. Judge is being very shady. Um, very partial mm -hmm. as opposed to impartial. Well, Paul Newman's just overwhelmed. And um, and the judge says, um, so you're saying that a person could aspirate in in one to two hours? So you're saying that the doctors weren't negligent? So he pretty much turned around the words of Dr. Thompson to say the doctors weren't negligent. And Dr. Thompson knows what's going on from the judge. Dr. Thompson even looks at the judge and, is, and says, um, the way that you're asking that question to me, is like he basically says, I know what you want me to say by answering the question. I don't want to answer the question, though, because you're asking the wrong question. Like You're basically leading me down this road to say something that isn't accurate. And, but it's so the really, judge. Paul Newman should have objected, right? But he can't. The judge can't is the one that the sustains yeah. it and is like overruled. 
So he's Paul Newman's just like, what the fuck? Like, I can't even object because it's the judge that's like badgering my own witness. And Paul Newman says to the judge, if you're going to try my case, I wish you wouldn't lose it. Yeah. Well, they're called into chambers. Chambers on my office. In my chambers. And the judge and um, Paul Newman says, I'm going to write the board about you. Oh, yeah. Paul Newman's like, you know what? I don't, whatever happens to this, I'm writing this all up. I'm getting a transcript. I'm sending it all in. Everything that you just said to my client, I'm writing it down and I'm sending it to the board. I'm going to try my case and I'm going to give it to the journey. Journey. <laughs> <laughs> giving it to the journey. <laughs> and he goes, you were the bag man for the boys downtown. Ooh, shots fired. Uh, we're going to get a mistrial. And the judge goes, we're going to try this case today. Ooh. So Paul Newman sees the sister and she goes, are we going to win? <laughs> Have you been watching the same thing we're watching? Yeah. And then the next scene, they're court artists drawing pictures. And it's the anesthesiologist who's on the, uh, on the stand right now. Mm-hmm. And... Um, they said it, it, there were four and a half minutes that her heart stopped and they resumed her heart three minutes later and they're yelling over the witness. Okay. So they're saying there's brain damage. It couldn't have been caused in two minutes and it's right on the medical chart. She was anemic which means she had less blood, which means she had less oxygen. So it could have been two and a half minutes without oxygen could have caused the um, brain damage. Yeah, he, the anesthesiologist is basically painting this picture of th- that there he didn't do anything wrong. It was these out of like these unforeseen things that happened. Unforeseen circumstances. Uh, he was not negligent. He was doing everything he could. Mm-hmm. So outside the courthouse, Dr. Thompson says to Paul Newman, I didn't do it too good for you, did I? But the doctor also says to Paul Newman, you know, sometimes people can surprise you. So, don't, you know, don't, don't give up. Don't hope. Okay. And so they send the doctor away because he's not going to help. Mm-hmm. Okay, so Laura is on the courthouse steps, and Frankie's going, it was bad. Mickey Masaji? Yeah, Mickey Masaji. Remember, then they're back like, at the office, and Mickey oh, is Mickey doing is a massaging weird massaging shoulder. I was like, would these two really be doing this? <laughs> I'd massage Frank's shoulders in Yeah, but you're not Mickey. I'm like, hmm, yeah, okay. what's up with Mickey? So Mickey's going, the case is over. And Mickey's going, you did the one thing I taught you never to do. You never ask a question that you don't, don't know, know the, the answer, answer to. And so the case is over. So uh, Frankie's doing a mantra no other cases, this is the case. There are no other cases, this is the case. Yeah. He's like, because he's trying to gotta get himself to think. He needs he needs a lightning bolt. James Mason has James a check. Mason. Not paid <laughs> Well, James Mason is talking. He's got a check. <laughs> and all we do is we just see James Mason. We don't see who he's talking to. And he's basically saying, 
I knew that you would come around. And he's basically talking about, like, rich guys and how rich guys get along in this world. But he's doing it with David Mamet-type speech and stuff. So he's just being real James Mason. And you're just like, I love James Mason, the way he talks and everything. And then... You see, you see him walking over with the check and the envelope, and you reveal to see who it is. And who is he giving the check to? Well, he puts the check in a pocketbook of one Laura Fisher. I told you all along, people. And she has a tear coming down her eye because she's caught feelings for Frank Glavin. Who wouldn't? And, yeah, who wouldn't? And she's like, I'm just like the rest of them. I'm, I'm such a whore. Yeah, a money whore. Mm-hmm. And he goes, okay, you had your you had your marriage. It fell apart. You wanted to come back. You want to practice law? Well, welcome back, Laura. Yeah. This is how it's done. Welcome back. It's a popular television show, I believe, in the 70s. Dr. Cartel. Not doctor, just mister. Mr. Okay, Cotter. so next scene, it's Mickey and Frank. And they're saying, why won't the OB nurse Marie testify? Yeah, who is she who protecting? Who is she protecting? And then it's who wasn't in that OR? Oh, the admitting nurse. Mm. So then they read the admitting papers. And in the admitting papers, it said, when did you last eat? Well, we cut to the hospital chapel. Mm. And at the hospital chapel, everybody, it's a Catholic chapel in a Catholic hospital. So everybody's genuflecting. Oh, what's genuflecting? That's a big word. Oh, that's when you when you kneel and cross yourself up in in the aisle way. I, th- I call that just like Catholicing. Yeah. Catholicing, genuflecting, same thing. Genuflecting. Mm-hmm. Damn. So, um That's that Ma, that's that George Mason education. That's right, baby. That's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so the OB nurse is there and she's genuflecting on her way out at the end of the chapel. And who's there to catch her hand? One Paul, Paul Newman. Newman. And he says, I talked to the admitting nurse and knew, and, and she goes, you did? Because I just talked to her yesterday. Mm-hmm. And he's going, well, uh, then the nurse is going, OB nurse is going, is she in New York or is she in town? Oh, and that was all I needed. That's all he needed. So um, Frank's, Frank is in his office and he knows that that admitting nurse quit right after this case. Mm-hmm. Well, Laura tries to talk to Frank. She has something I need to tell you. And he goes, I ain't got time for that. Ain't no I ain't time have for a that. case to win. I got a hot lead. So he's looking for Caitlin Costello, who was the admitting nurse. Well, Laura goes to the lobby and she stares at the phone banks. Okay, it's late at night and he's still looking for Caitlin Costello. In the morning, the mail comes. And he looks at the mail that's dropped through the mail slot onto the floor, and he just stares and stares and stares. He gets a beer out of his filing cabinet. Mm. He picks up the mail. Next scene, there's a taxi that drops drops him off, 
And there's an M. Rooney mailbox who is the OB nurse. So he goes in her mailbox to, oh, and steals her mail. Why is he doing he that? Was. Because he looked in his mailbox and he got his bill from the phone company. Yep. And so when he opened it up, he saw all the numbers that he had called. And then yep. that's when he gets the idea. He goes to the OBG because she said that she had just talked to her. Yep. So he breaks. He commits a federal offense. Yeah. He breaks into her mailbox, gets her phone bill out, opens it up and looks for a number with a New York area code. Yep. And he's like, that's that's the admitting nurse's number. Yep. And he calls Caitlin Costello, now Price, and she works at the Chelsea Child Care. Mm -hmm. He goes to the airport. Well, while he's on this chase, Laura is in the in his office and uh, she gets a call from Frank. Um, and she realizes that Frank is in New York. So she's like, oh, I'm coming to New York. Can we meet? Can we meet at the Russell Hotel at four o'clock? And then they hang up. Well, Mickey had asked Laura to go buy cigarettes. And while Laura's on the phone with Frank, he's looking for the cigarettes. So he happens to go in her purse to look for the cigarettes. Oh, and that's why he looked in her purse. He finds the check to Laura from James, James Mason. Mason. He's like, that low down, no good, dirty whore. Yeah. Which is a nice word for her. Well, Paul Newman, in the meantime, finds the child care. Sees this woman who's great with kids. Says, hey, you used to be a nurse, didn't you? I like how Paul Newman keeps his distance, though. Because he is at a, like, preschool. And there are a lot of kids around. And he is a 56-year-old man. And he is walking up with a woman. And so he does sort of keep this, like, distance from everyone. And I went, oh my gosh, he has a badge, a visitor badge on his on his lapel of his coat. But it wasn't a visitor badge. He didn't badge. have visitor badges in 1982. It was his plane ticket. Yeah. So she sees his plane ticket and she knows something's up. Mm -hmm. And he goes, and, and this is all done. I mean, that is all done just through looks. Yeah, there's no, this isn't written. There's no verbal. He asked, he has a pretty innocuous question about something. And it makes her turn around and she sees the look in his face. Because he's, he hasn't shaved. He's got like Paul Newman stubble. And she sees the plane ticket for the the shuttle from Boston to New York. And she knows instantly. And he just and he knows that she knows and he's just like, please help me. Will you help me? Yeah. Okay. Um now we're back with Mickey and Fra uh, Mickey is with Frankie and he says, We gotta talk. And there's a street shot. Oh, it's a nice long shot. And you just see the two walking down. And you know that Mickey is telling Frankie, your girl has done you dirty. And Frank, you, you see Frank back up. Kudu is like, I don't believe it. And then he just, does he just take off sprinting? Yeah. Just takes off sprinting. He runs to meet Laura, and it's just one look. Again, no no dialogue. 
She knows that he knows. And what does he do? Well, problematic for these times. But in the context of the movie, I kind of do understand. I'm not defending these actions, but I do understand. He walks up to her and decks her. He punches her in the mouth. He punches her in the mouth. And this is in a bar. And so all the guys instantly jump on him. And they're like, buddy, what are you doing? Buddy. And there's a guy that's like helping Laura. Her mouth is bleeding. And she just looks at him. And she's just like, leave him alone. Leave him alone. Step away. Yeah. Because she's like, I kind of deserve that, guys. Yeah. Well, that happened in New York. Remember, she wanted to meet him in New York. Mm-hmm. And so um, Mickey and Frank are on the flight back. Did you see the space yes. between those rows? Wait. Oh, no. I was too caught up in the seat designs, the cover <laughs> designs of the seats and everything. I'm just thinking to myself, who designed this? I, I think it looked cool, but... <laughs> I know that my aesthetic is not in the main. It was a vibrant print. It was. They did zebra print, but in what color would you say? Different shades of olive. Yes. D- zebra, different shades of olive print. This was in 82. We were still in the um, nature colors of rust. <laughs> yeah. Avocado green. What was that about? What was all of the rust and harvest? Which I get. I'm not even against it. But then in a zebra pattern, like just these these wildly rustic colors and these crazy patterns. Hey, say what you will. There was a whole lot of space between those rows. You could have gotten up and gone to the bathroom without anybody in your row having to get up. That's true. Okay, so there were, I actually there's wrote also that down people because, like how could you have even seen with all the cigarette smoke? Because wasn't well, that also true. when people were just smoking in planes? Because that's good for everyone. So Mickey is saying it's going to be a mistrial, you know, and Paul says I don't want a mistrial. So now they're back at at their um, office. Mickey is bringing in breakfast, which is not an egg in a beer. Laura keeps calling. And Mickey answers the phone, says he's not here. Well, now we're in the courtroom. Paul Newman has his head in his hands. The anesthesiologist is on the stand, says that Deborah aspirated from food particles in her mask, and uh, the doctor is asked, "Would you have been? Would you have been? Would have been criminal?" I'm sorry, that's really important, and I don't have exactly what it was. And as so, the doctor is saying it would have been criminal for me to to have left her with food particles in her mask, but that didn't happen, or something. As he's leaving the stand because he's he's won for the archdiocese, they call. Wait, 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 wait. He because they're asking him would it have been it would it have been criminal if y- you had known if you'd used that anesthesia like would you have used that anesthesia if if um she had eaten within the 
hours and there could have been food particles i think that's sort of what it is because he's basically setting it up because he's like yeah it would have been criminal but that's you know she had she said that she had eaten nine hours ago so it's not not what happened so it's not a problem so it would have been criminal but it would have been and so then they're like okay you know you're you can leave the stand so he leaves off the stand and this dude has got a shit-eating grin on his face because he's like i nailed it and james james mason i feel good about that i feel like you did a good job on the stand that's the look that he's giving him as he's walking Mm -hmm. by and as he's walking back to his place in the gallery paul newman calls caitlin costello oh And the anesthesiologist stops in his tracks and turns around. Like, what did he just say? Who? And it's not just Caitlin Costello Price, but she is pregnant. Oh, I didn't even notice that. Yep. So she gets on the stand and they say, is this the admission form that you signed? And the anesthesiologist is throwing daggers at her. Mm -hmm. And oh, when did uh, Deborah last eat? Well, no, she says, is this what you signed? And she says, yeah, I signed that. That's I did sign that. Right. And then she says, well, when did she last eat? And she says, well, she told me she had her last full meal one hour before coming to the hospital. And Paul says, you wrote the number, the numeral one, not the word one, correct? And she said, yes. And so um, Paul Newman says, it's your witness. So James Mason Mason. turns to anesthesiologist and says, is there anything? And the anesthesiologist goes, no. So James Mason says to Caitlin, you know, perjury is a crime. You know, perjury is a crime. Uh, and you swore before God you'd tell the truth. And nothing but. The the two doctors based their care of this woman on this form, right? She says, yes. And you swore you wrote one hour today, but four years ago you swore you wrote nine hours? And she says, they lied. What? I didn't write the nine. See, now, if this was law and order, this is where the strings would have started coming in. And you know this shit's about to hit the fan when they start doing that. Mm -hmm. She says, I wrote one. And he goes, how do you remember that after four years? And she goes, because I made my own copy of it. Oh, And James Mason goes, objection, objection. Objection, your honor. And the judge has to rule as to if that gets to go into evidence or if the jury has to dismiss the fact that she made her own copy of it. Mm -hmm. So it goes to the judge and the judge is just staring at James Mason. Yeah, like, what the hell, man? And and James Mason says, why did you do that? And she said, I thought I might need it. After the operation, Dr. Trawler, the anesthesiologist, called me in. And 
He had said to her, I had five difficult deliveries in a row. I was tired. I never even looked at the admittance form. He never even saw checked to see when the last time was that she ate. He didn't. So so check he turned the one into a nine or he said I'd never work again. Who are these men? I wanted to be a nurse. James Mason goes, nothing further, nothing oh, further. Yeah, yeah. And Go ahead. James Mason goes, Your Honor, we object to the duplicate copy. Uh, we need a ruling on this issue now. Yeah, because James Mason's like, Look, Your Honor, this is a, you're asking for a copy. We have the original. The original clearly says nine hours. It is the original. You're asking for a copy. I move that this defendant and all of her testimony is stricken from the record. Your Honor. And your honor goes, give me a minute. And he comes back with her entire testimony and the copy are to be stricken from the record. Yeah. Uh, jurors, forget what you, the bombshell that you just heard. Pretend like you didn't never heard it. Oh, Newman. So the jury is dismissed and the archdiocese is saying it's over. Did you believe her? Well, yeah, because then the whoever the bishop, whatever the bishop cardinal dude, they're you know his crony guy, blonde balding mustache tea totaler guy, who probably has a past that we've just found out about. He's sipping, and he's like, "Look, the it's there's no way that they're gonna win. It's over." And the archbishop diocese Catholic guy says, "Yeah, but." Did you believe her? And the crony guy just, he pulls the Kermit the Frog tea move. And he doesn't <laughs> answer. He just sips his tea. <laughs> Kermit. Kermit. So we're back in the courtroom and it's time for Frank's summation. Mm -hmm. He pauses. Then he gets up. And he says, well, so much of the time, we're all just lost. Please, God, tell us what right is and what true is. You know, it's the rich who win. I'm tired of the laws. We think of ourselves as victims and we become victims. We become weak. We doubt ourselves. We doubt the law. But jury, today you are the law. Um, you are the symbols of our desire to be just, the symbols of prayer. Act as if you have faith. If we are to have faith in justice, believe in ourselves and act with justice. Yeah, and that ties into the whole thing about how they were the working class people and they're like, you people are all the same. And so Paul Newman is like, it's not, it's not us people here. This is like you are the law. You are the ones that, that will decide whether or not this woman's family gets money. Whose fault this is. This isn't, this isn't passing the buck on. Everybody can sit back and say they always get away with it. But no, you can make a stand right here and right now to do the right thing. Which is, which is a bold move because yeah. they're supposed to... They have... They have to ignore everything that that woman just said. 
and go based off the all the other evidence and all the other evidence doesn't point to that it being done on purpose he says justice is in our hearts so i don't think the jury really followed the rules i think they paid attention to her testimony i think they did too the jury's coming in. Paul Newman's eyes are closed because he knows he lost mm -hmm. us. He's like, I he lost, he lost them $140,000. I did. And now he, um, I have to start drinking Cuddy Snark now. Cuddy Snark. <laughs> so the, the judge says, um, um, manger, um, do you have a verdict? And he stands and he says, we do, Your Honor. We rule for the plaintiff. What? But we have a question. What? Are we limited on the size of the award or can we make it greater? What? And the judge goes, well, you know, you can go and talk about it. You can come back with any amount you want. Damn, they're going to get paid, son. So go back into the jury room, decide on the size of the uh, award you want for the plaintiff. And he cracks his gavel. Well, people are congratulating Frank. And Frank sees Laura across the hall. Well, the next scene is Laura is drunk in her hotel room. She tries to call Frank. The phone keeps falling. And she calls Frank. It's 11 rings. But Frank is in his office, and he's drinking coffee. And he doesn't take her call. He just lets it ring. And that is the, the verdict. End and of the, the verdict. End. <laughs> the end of the verdict. Indeed. Indeed. So at the end, she's drinking, and he's drinking coffee. Mm -hmm. Well, she was always an alcoholic. Yeah. So she's still an alcoholic. And they got what they paid for. Yeah. And she was she was an underwritten part. She wasn't a great part. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. What trivia do you have? I got a lot. I have trivia that Bruce Willis was in the courtroom. He was I a have that too. In the final scene, he was an uncredited extra. I had that Robert Redford was first offered the role, but he didn't want to play an alcoholic. Oh, well, there's I have a whole thing with Robert Redford. So Zanuck and Brown bought the rights to the book and Mamet wrote the screenplay, but they didn't like it. So then Jay, Jay Preston Allen wrote another and then Redford was attached, but he didn't like Allen's script. So he suggested James Bridges write and direct it. And then Redford didn't like what Bridges was doing, so then Bridges left, and then Redford began having secret meetings with Sidney Pollack because he didn't want to play an alcoholic, and then the producers got mad that Redford was sneaking around behind their back, and they fired Redford, and then the producers hired Sidney LeMay and, Le and sent him all the scripts, and then Sidney LeMay read them, and they liked the original, he liked the original grittiness of what Mamet had done, and so then Mamet just did another rewrite on the script. Whoa. Mm -hmm. I had that these other these other actors were offered the role. Dustin Hoffman, John Voigt, Cary Grant, William Holden. But the person who wrote it always had Paul in mind. Well, Sidney LeMay always wanted, when Sidney LeMay got attached to it, Paul Newman was the first, um, was his first choice. Of course. 
I had that Frank Sinatra offered to do the role for free. I have that too. He was like, playing an alcoholic lawyer? I could do that in my sleep. <laughs> Isn't that me? That's me. That's me, guys. And the original, originally, it ended before the verdict came back. Yeah, Mamet wanted to go full Mamet and have there be a question mark in the verdict. Like, the verdict? Mm-hmm. And Cindy LeMay was like, what the hell, man? No, we need an ending. <laughs> Dude. And But there was, still a, there was still a question mark. You know, how much were they going to get? It was going to be more than yeah. $200,000. Okay, um, I, I have that it took 43 days to shoot. Mm-hmm. I have that it was um, nominated for many Oscars, but didn't win any. Well, it was nominated for five Oscars. Best Actor, Best Supporting Actor for James Mason. Best Director, Best Picture, and Best Adapted Screenplay. Now, would you like to know what won? So for Best Picture that year, this is a year that we've already discussed because... The Verdict was nominated, Tootsie was nominated, Missing was nominated, and E.T., the Extraterrestrial, was nominated. And the winner was Gandhi. Uh, And so for the Best Actor, Dustin Hoffman was nominated, Jack Lemmon was nominated, Paul Newman was nominated, and Peter O'Toole was nominated for My Favorite Year. Remember how we were like, Peter O'Toole didn't win for this? Mm-hmm. And then we looked it up and we're like, this might be the cr- most stacked off like category ever. It was because, do you remember who won this year? Ben Kingsley for, for Gandhi. Gandhi. Like, yeah, you can't fuck with Gandhi, man. Yeah. So, yeah. And mm-hmm. Louis Gossett Jr. for An Officer and a Gentleman, he beat <sighs> James Mason. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I have that the eye drops Paul Newman kept using, those were his own idea. He came up with that because he's an actor. And I have this was number four on a list of courtroom dramas mm-hmm, from AFI. Okay. All right. So I have a bunch of stuff. Um, This was. So Edward Binns played the bishop and Jack Warden. They were 12 of the angry men. Mm-hmm. Um, Cindy LeMay didn't read the novel until after he did the movie. Julie Christie, she turned down the role of Laura. Oh, she would have been good. Mm-hmm. It's set in Boston, but it's actually mostly shot in New York City. Yeah, I did see that. This is the final American feature, Hollywood feature film for James Mason. And uh-huh. he got it because Burt Lancaster dropped out. And James mm-hmm. Mason's daughter-in-law is one Belinda Carlisle. What? I know. I was like, the lead singer of the Go-Go's and Ooh Baby Heaven is a Place on Earth? is James Mason is her father-in-law? Wow. When Frank, the pinball that Frank is playing is Saturday Night Fever. Yes, I couldn't remember what it was. And Julie Bosasso, she played the nurse, the nurse Rooney, the mm-hmm. um, OB nurse. 
she was John Travolta's mom in Saturday Night Fever. Oh, wow. How okay. crazy is that? Um, and let's see. Sidney LeMay, he is one of the most prolific directors in the modern era. He averaged about one movie a year since he started in 1957. Turner wow. Classic Movies say that he is a strong, had a strong direction of actors and he was known for his visual, vigorous storytelling and social realism. And Robert Ebert called him one of the finest craftsmen and warmest humanitarians among all directors. Wow. And Sean Connery was in five of his films and he was one of his favorite directors because he had, quote, that vision thing. And like I said, his book was called Making Movies. And it's really good. And I think that was like all of my all of my stuff with it. Okay. With the verdict. It was very good. It was very good. It's a good movie. You should watch it. It's on HBO now. It is. I mean, Paul Newman's fantastic in it. And he looks great. He was 56 in this. But he looks great. Yeah. I wonder how old his character was supposed to be. Like, if his character is supposed to be 56 or was supposed to be, like, in his 40s. I don't know. He was supposed to be down on his luck. I Probably around yeah. 56-ish. Yeah, but you know how, like, most actors look younger than how they really yeah. are? So then it's like, well, what age is he supposed to be playing? Right. Well, next week. Oh, yeah. I did a bit of wrestling. Am I gonna do this one? Oh, that's how I feel. Everybody's gonna gonna assume I'm gonna do this one. What do you think everyone's gonna assume you're gonna do? I thought every well, what did you think I was gonna do? Oh, I was thinking. I was like, what is she gonna pick? And I, because I know what I kind of wanted to pick, but then there was another movie came into my head earlier. Because when I was watching the verdict. There was a movie that I was like, ooh, I think it would be fun to do this. And then something else came into my head, too. Um, I don't know. Because there's so I, many. I, well, I did look up. I mean, he has so many films. And I did look up what, what were the best Paul Newman films. Mm-hmm. And this was number one on one of the lists. And it was always, like, in the top five. And I feel like it's the quintessential Paul Newman movie. Cool Hand Luke? We are going to do 1967's Cool Hand Luke. I thought so. I thought everybody would think I was going to do The Sting. (sighs) That's very interesting because I think that, like, I was like, oh, but then when I was watching The Verdict, I was like, you know what, though? I don't know. I have I have a dark horse in there. Yeah, there's several there's dark so horses. There's so many, and I'm like, ooh, hmm. Yeah. Because I had a feeling. I was like, ah, I think I I feel like Ma's gonna do Cool Hand Luke. Yeah, because I feel like it's one of his top movies, and so uh, and remember, uh, we only have really three weeks in this month because of the wedding. Yeah. So next year we'll be doing another Paul Newman month. All right. But so, so I'm going that... with Cool Hand Luke listeners. 
next week, 1967, Cool Hand Luke. So this one isn't on HBO, though. I I didn't do enough research to find out. Because I was, I said, it, is HBO also celebrating uh, Paul Newman Appreciation Month? Well, I'm going to look it up and maybe we can uh, put that on on the website, uh, you know, on the pod, in, on the little blurb for the podcast in case it is, in case you want to watch it before we do it. Right. Well, I'll look right now to see. Okay. You do a search reel. Because that means that I need to vamp, vamp a little bit. And, um, okay. Mm, it doesn't look like it's on HBO. Okay. Then we will be getting it on iTunes, renting it. Mm-hmm. Unless it's, uh, I wonder if it's on Netflix. I don't know. It's not on Amazon. Okay. Well, it's on Amazon for rent, but not for yeah, free. Not, yeah, not Prime. Amazon Prime. Okay, listeners, next week, Cool Hand Luke. Cool Hand Luke. Mm-hmm.